Hey, what's going on guys? It's Matt Carley. In today's episode, Max has a conversation with Traff, who is an extremely talented web designer from Montreal, Canada. He was previously involved in a company that was a part of Y Combinator, which is an accelerator for startups in Silicon Valley with a 1.5% acceptance rate. Now Traff is focused on building a company called Vera, which is a membership platform that figured out a way for people to offset their plastic footprint by simply paying $3 per month. In this episode, Max and Traff touch on different topics in regards to startups, unconventional paths, and social media. Hope you enjoy today's phone call. Max, what's going on? Hey man, how's it going? I'm going great. What about you? I am doing very well. Thank you for taking some time to chat. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Where are you at in the world? I am in snowy Montreal. Ooh, very nice. Yeah. yeah. Do you live in you? Montreal full time? Yes. Um, I lived in San Francisco for the last four years and just got back to Montreal about uh, about a year ago. Very and nice. Here ever since. Yeah. And why did you um, move out to Montreal? Um, so I went to San Francisco initially to um, pursue a startup. And uh, ultimately, we ended up moving on from that. And uh, so I figured I'd come back home. Montreal is where, where I'm from, where the family is. And so uh, while I figure things out and figured this is the place, best place to be. Yeah, the famous reason why everyone goes to, to the exactly. Bay Area. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, exactly. Very nice. It's funny because I'm actually in the Bay Area right now. And, uh, you are I, probably not jealous, but it is very rainy here and uh, not the best weather. <laughs> yeah, not jealous at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me a little bit more about the startup because I know I've heard a little bit from some people about it and I know a little bit about um, from Matt, but I'm curious what it was. Um, I heard about you were in YC. I'm just kind of curious to hear a little bit more about the story. Sure. Yeah. Um, it was called Spoil. And uh, it went through a whole bunch of variations as to how I would define it, but it ended up basically as a mobile on-demand style gifting app. So very simple way to gift very simple products to anyone that you would like. And uh, we used the Postmates API. And so pretty much overnight, we were able to deliver pretty much US-wide within the same hour. And so, yeah, it was pretty powerful. And so when you say like deliver gifts, what does that actually look like? So we focused on things that uh, didn't um, last in the sense so that you can kind of uh, resend to the same person and it would be okay. So things like little things like uh, cupcakes or flowers or, um, you know, we had like mystery surprises where we put on, you know, it depends also on the, if there were any events coming up, Valentine's Day, et cetera. So a bunch of really small little things that, that are easy to give and, and still uh, enjoyable to receive. Yeah. Very nice. And so I would go into your app. I'd say, okay, I want to send my friend John flowers. I would put it in <laughs> my friend. John's like, why am I getting flowers? <laughs> um, <laughs> like I'd send John flowers and, uh, and then Postmates would be the one who would actually fulfill the request. Yeah. Though the receiver or the sender actually wouldn't actually know that. Um, it would, uh, we would, we were just using their API. And so basically we were hopping on to their delivery network. So they would actually do the fulfillment. Um, wow. but yeah. And so, but they, they would only be interacting with, with spoil. I had no idea that like you could do that. Is that normal? Is there, do they have an open API? They do. Yeah. It's, it was pretty surprising on our part as well. Uh, there were obviously a lot of hiccups because 
Postmates are not exactly meant to be given. It's, it's meant to be something that you get for yourself. And so sure. we had to spend a lot of time uh, communicating with the person who's delivering the gift to say that this, this is actually a gift. You know, this, this yeah. person isn't ex- expecting this product. And so there were a lot <laughs> of problems and <laughs> ultimately oh it didn't work out for, for maybe, maybe those reasons, maybe a few other, sure. other things. But, uh, but yeah, it was definitely a, an amazing experience. Cool. And tell me a little bit more about how you got there, because obviously YC is super impressive, but what led up to getting into YC? So we initially started, it was me and uh, three other co-founders, and okay. we were working on a um, another app called Airborne. And it was basically a, a city guide style app. And one weekend we decided, I'm, I'm not even sure how the idea started. It was like, Two of us were, were in the gym or something and like mm-hmm. some idea popped up and it started from there. And over one weekend, we just hacked together a website that was basically started off with like send an anonymous gift. You didn't okay. know who it was coming from. Uh, <laughs> all you do, all you knew was that you were paying $25 and you put in the address and the person's name and they would receive something from you. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what it was. Yeah, it was pretty wild. And over that weekend, we got more orders uh, and traffic than we've ever gotten with Airborne. And so we said, this like, we're obviously just going to focus on this. Yeah. Yeah. And cool. so after that point, we had the, the, the deadline for YC was coming up and uh, we were actually debating which project we wanted to submit to Y Combinator. And we decided on spoil and uh, we, we got accepted to go into the interview. And I, I think even to this day, like we were one of the youngest companies that has ever gotten into Y Combinator. I think we were were only a few weeks old at the time. Oh my God. And so did you blow them away in the interview? How did that even happen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was really, I think they, they, they bought into the vision and the, the hustle and, and, you know, all of us, we were, we were going after it and going to make it try and make it work like as, as hard as we can. And so, and, and also the vision was, was very inspiring. Like we were, we were sort of, on the path to creating a new category of, of service. Um, so we were, we were focused on giving and receiving as opposed to, as opposed to gifting. And so Mm. that opened up the doors a lot in terms of like, you know, when you think of how often you gift to someone, it's, it's actually not so often it's pretty occasional. It's fairly expensive. Um, but with us, you know, some of our top spoilers, as we call them, were (laughs) giving, uh, you know, two, three times per week. And so it kind of, it was sort of a new paradigm shift uh, of the giving and receiving experience. That's so interesting. And I think that's probably something that I would do more of if it was kind of an easy way to do it. So like on on paper, it seems like something that's pretty obvious where, okay, I have a lot of people in my life I care about where I want to be giving more often to them than I am. The the difficulty of that is what do I give? And then I have to go make the time to go to get flowers or go get cards or go get like, so it's it's just so much work to think about it. What what went wrong that made this not work? Because you're not working on it anymore. That's right. That's right. So th- there were a few things. I think ultimately it came down to we, a lot of the time we were working uh, in the business as opposed to on the business. And what I mean by that is that we were all like, we, we had still a lot of manual processes for, for orders. And so let's say okay. there was an event that came up that was like Valentine's day, you know, all of us co-founders plus a few of our employees were like, <laughs> if we got an influx of orders, we were just heads down helping fulfill those orders for the next yeah. week's so it was like, and by the way, the on-demand aspect was only towards the end. And so before that, we actually, you know, uh, held inventory and shipped out with courier services. And so, wow. um, but it was, it was a few reasons, you know, team chemistry was also another thing, uh, which is super important. And a few of us just didn't end up clicking, which is yeah. okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Super interesting. Um, and what are you working on today? So today I am focused, basically half my time is on, uh, I would say actually a, closer to a quarter of my time is doing uh, freelance client work. Okay. So just mostly uh, UX, UI design, uh, mobile apps, uh, websites, some basic front-end development, things like that. Mm. And in terms of actual projects, um, one of them that I'm working on is called Vera. And okay. it's basically a membership platform that is an easy way for you to offset your plastic footprint. And huh. so you basically pay $3 a month for the membership and you get access to a personalized dashboard where you can track your, you know, how much progress we're making. You get some cool perks in the process. And because we're active on Instagram and in the photography community, we give out some curated wallpapers as well. So I join and I pay $3 a month. And the reason I pay the $3 is a feel good way of knowing that those $3 are going to giving back to the community um, or going back to helping to offset um, what is it? Carbon? It's yeah, plastic or plastic. plastic or sorry. Plastics. Yeah, so yeah, so pretty much so we started with the idea that we would, with your contribution, we would, uh, then contribute to a few other initiatives that clean the ocean and remove plastic from the ocean. But okay. then we figured we can make a bigger impact with prevention as opposed to actually cleaning up what's already there. Just because the flow of what's going in is like way overpowers the flow of what's, what's coming out. That's when we partnered with a company called Plastic Bank, okay. and they help us um, prevent plastic from entering the ocean in the first place. And so with mm -hmm. your $3 a month, that basically prevents 250 plastic bottles from ever entering the ocean in the first place. Okay. So how are you getting customers for something like this? Because it feels like something that like is perfect for social media in that like mm -hmm. you, you can make content and make a compelling story around this. And I know that's a little bit about your background, but um, how are you finding kind of people to pay the $3 and how have you been getting members so far? Yeah. So we started, uh, it was actually my co-founder, Luca, who had started this Instagram page called Visuals of Earth. And that's, that's been doing pretty well. He's been building that up for quite some time. And we figured, you know, we have this, this, this huge community of people who are, you know, uh, photographing and cherishing the earth, we, we kind of wanted to do something with it. And yeah. so that's when we started brainstorming ideas and that's when Vera came up. And ever since we've, we haven't done any paid, any paid marketing so far, we've really just been focused on growing it and pushing it through social media channels. And that's been working okay so far. We had a nice little product hunt launch, which, which obviously did a good, good boost. And it's been word of mouth ever since. Very nice. Um, and, and tell me a little bit more about the actual pages. Are you involved in that at all? How big are they? How have you been kind of growing those accounts? Yeah. So um, I haven't been too involved in, in visuals of earth. That's mostly been Luca. Okay. Um, but at this point, I think they're at 200 and almost 250,000 followers. Okay. Um, so definitely a, an achievement. <laughs> yeah. And is, is Andy, yeah. cause I remember Andy was running, I think it was at earth or it was, is that ever something correlated or similar? Or is that a completely different project? Yeah, that, that, that is mostly Andy's project. Um, and my co-founder Luca is he's, uh, kind of helping curate that as well. So this is kind of separate from myself, but still yeah. Uh, relative. Yeah. So interesting. And how have you kind of thought about branding yourself on social media in particular too? Because I, I know that you have thousands of followers as well. I'm curious how you kind of built that up for yourself over that time. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I think it's sort of happened naturally. I mean, I'll, everything that I post seemed to have started being kind of like a, a dark moody feel. 
And <laughs> I just have kept that consistent. And I think people, you know, when they land on my profile, they're just like shocked by like that consistency and that coherence of that theme, mm. you know? And mm. so I would say, you know, just having a sort of theme and sticking to it was, was my main uh, priority though I didn't really put much thought into it it's just sort of like I like part of my identity and so it, it, I feel like it came a little natural to me I feel like that's the best way to do it and it's like it's like almost when you try and make something that you think is going to pop off is like when it never does <laughs> it's only when you <laughs> actually are just doing what you yourself want to see that it seemingly like has success I, it's been something I've been talking about a lot with friends of mine lately and it's and it's funny because it's not just in um, social media but it's like from products to companies to clothing yeah. designs. It's like, like just like actually making something for yourself, almost like very selfishly actually kind of turns out to be something that seems to resonate with a much broader community. If you're really true to like doing something that you yourself love, which is so counterintuitive. It is. And I think that's a very interesting point. And I, I think it's the same kind of idea that, you know, when you're so focused on something, you're usually like success happens to people who aren't necessarily after it. You know, I think, mm. um, it's the same thing with like, you know, when you think of, uh, if we're talking about monetary success as well, like if you're so after money, you're, you're very rarely going to find it. Whereas the opposite yeah. is usually true. You know, you just, you just work on, you know, whatever it is, passion projects and, you know, things just end up happening when you're working on the right things that you care about. You're interacting with people who are like-minded and just yeah. magic starts to happen. Totally. Did you, did you go to school? I'm curious. Did you go back to, um, did you go to college or did you leave that to go to San Francisco? Yeah, so I did a very, uh, in, in Canada, or I should say Quebec, there's not exactly college, it's more a CGEP, so, you know, mm. high school up until grade 11, and then you do, or you're supposed to do <laughs> two years of CGEP, <laughs> and then you go on to university. Uh, I didn't do CGEP, uh, I, I, I went for, I think, two or three months, and I was just totally not feeling it, <laughs> and so that's when I kind of started to explore other opportunities, and I found this super niche program in Vancouver, actually. Mm-hmm. And that's when I kind of just moved to Vancouver, picked up and did about, it was about a year long program and it was a graphic design program. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was a little bit too artsy for me, but I did, <laughs> it, it did kickstart the career, I, I suppose. And so I'm thankful for it for sure. That's funny. Cause it seems like maybe very accidental, which like, I don't know, going back to like this whole thing I've been noticing recently, it's so many people who are pursuing very unconventional paths have been doing it in such a way that like, it's almost accidental that they fall into it. And how much, how much do you know about my background, by the way? So I did a little bit of research, but I, I, was, <laughs> oh boy. I, would, still, <laughs> I would still love to hear more about some of your projects as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you just because it relates to this too, is um, I, when, I, when, I was, when I was 12, I kind of randomly had this idea one day, um, it was like the summer that I wanted to make a website. And <laughs> I, I had no idea how to do it. I knew that like my mom would buy all the things that she bought on eBay and I had a little bit of birthday money. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna go on eBay and I'm gonna buy a website because that's what I figured. Like everyone goes to eBay to buy stuff, you must be able to buy a website. And in hindsight, I was like, that is so stupid. But um, <laughs> in, uh, in the moment, it was like the best idea ever. So I bought a website because I actually managed to find one. And and, and on lucky eBay? enough, on eBay, people sold wow. websites on eBay. And it was like, it was like nothing. It was like a $20 probably template or something of what yeah. I thought was a website. Mm-hmm. And so I bought it and little old me had fun and eventually it failed and I tried again. But what was, what was funny is when I was like, at that point in time, a couple of months after kind of starting that, I had a lucky break where I, I kind of bought a website and then listed it back on eBay for like five times what I bought it for and ended up selling it for like a close to a thousand dollars. And it got me completely hooked into this idea of, oh my God, like I'm almost like a millionaire now. At 12 years old, like a thousand dollars is like, you are just <laughs> over the fucking moon. Absolutely. So 
it definitely got me hooked into this whole idea of um, I can be successful doing this and, and um, I want to keep doing this and keep trying things. And that kind of led to its own individual journey. But it's, it's definitely funny how like that kind of just accidentally falling into or kind of stumbling into a passion can really have like this, this dramatic uh, impact on the course of, of your life after that. And it's, it's just interesting. It's like, how can you how, like, what I, part of what I'm thinking about a lot now and, and I'm working on something in the education space is like, how can you help people kind of pursue these unconventional careers or find them at least and, and, and have exposure to them? Because traditional education does a horrible job at like encouraging kids to, I think, try things like that outside of the classroom. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree completely. I think a big part of that is, you know, I think it's common practice to look, look for inspiration anywhere you can find it. But I think a big part of how you'll end up is actually looking within, you know, looking like what, what comes easy to you that other people look at and they're like, what, why are you spending time on that? You know? And, and I think that's what usually kickstarts, whether it be a business or, or a side project or, or just an, another way to make money. But I think there are a lot of things that you can think of for yourself that you're doing either for money or, or not for money. And other people are kind of looking at you and like weirdly. Right. <laughs> I find everyone has a lot of these uh, ideas or, or weird kind of skills. And, and I think focusing on that competitive advantage, whether you look at it that way or not, is a good idea to start putting something out there. Totally. What's funny about what you just said is it like sparked this kind of thinking in my mind recently, which was that I've been really thinking about like, like for the first kind of, I don't know, couple of years of my career and really only until recently, I was just pursuing whatever it was that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And it was like just bizarre random things. Like I co-produced a song for a singer who got signed to Beyonce for half a million dollars, totally different from the other thing I did, which was like make a mobile game and like, um, and do that. And, and, and it was, it was really just kind of like sporadically pursuing whatever was most interesting. And what I've done recently is kind of slow down and to your point, kind of looked at myself and said, like, what kind of company or what kind of project am I uniquely fit to succeed at? Because, because none of these projects, even though they may be interesting, were ones that I think I could actually be incredibly successful at long-term or were the companies that like were made for me to run. And by doing that, it actually really helped me in clarifying like, okay, who am I? What are my core strengths? And then how can I design a company that really just lets me execute on those core strengths primarily and, and like very little else. Um, and it's been really, really interesting because for the first time ever, like I am, I'm able to really be strong and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and kind of like, like, this is like the right company for me to run, which I think a lot of people talk about at different points in, in the Valley and, and whatever, but it's really like, I've really discovered that for myself is like, this is not just a company. It's a good company. It's a good company for me to run. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, by nature, by doing that, you'll, you'll be that much different and, you know, not very yeah. many people will be able to go and, and just copy exactly what you're doing just because it's coming from something so deep within you. Right. Right. And I think the hard part, at least that I'm trying to figure out for, for people around me in my life is like, how do you get someone to even like, be, like, like have the confidence, I guess, to even start the journey. Cause I think particularly in like a college university setting, so many kids have like this aspiration of, Oh, like it looks so cool to be doing things on social media. It looks so cool to be starting a company, but like, I have, I have no idea where to begin. And like, I don't really know if I'd be wasting time. It's, it's, it's funny how many people I think who are young are worried about wasting time. And then they spend six months worrying about the fact that they're <laughs> wasting time <laughs> right. instead of like, uh, actually just, just trying something. And I think what I, what I keep kind of trying to come back to a little bit is like, how do you, how do you get someone to break out of that? So to speak. And, and maybe it's just like, you don't and like people grow up and, and that's when they start doing it. But it's curious that like, like both of us seemingly jumped into this randomly and, and maybe that like you just need that kind of random spark and you can't really force it. Right. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting question. I would throw one back at you and, and ask you, you know, you had the idea of, of starting and buying a website at 12 years old. You know, I, I have no idea where I was at 12 years old, but it wasn't close to anything like that. So like what, 
what got you to kind of kickstart that idea? Like what, how did that get into your head at, at such a young age? That's a really interesting question. I actually don't know if I've ever been asked that. I, I think the first thing that jumped to my mind is I thought of my father and my father ran a business growing up and he worked from home and he had a little office in like a barn off of the side of our house and had some people there working. And, and, and I remember distinctly growing up whenever we would go away with him on weekend trips or we would go away for the summer or whatever we would do, he would always bring his laptop. And whenever he was on his laptop, it was our signal that he was working. And that that was like kind of his place to work. And like, that was how he allowed, like it made the money to allow us to do things like take trips and, and, and live the life we lived. And so maybe it's like in some kind of small way, I kind of associated like, huh, okay. Like if I, if I do something work related or like businessy on my laptop, then maybe I can, I can have enough money to buy the things that I want or to get the things that I want to get, which probably at 12 years old was like a, a membership to Club Penguin or something. But um, <laughs> it was like, it was probably seeing someone who was doing it successfully, even though like my father was doing something completely removed from it. He was doing finances, um, financial right. stuff. And so just seeing like the association of computer, working from home, business, translates into the life that I'm allowed to live or, or I'm able to live probably was, was some sort of spark for me. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, it's, it's, yes. it's, did you feel like anybody in your life like lived an unconventional career? Was there anything like appealing about it growing up or did you always kind of assume that you were going to kind of follow a very straight and narrow path? Yeah. I, to be honest, I didn't think about it very much. Like no one that I knew, uh, at least personally, uh, was following any sort of unconventional path. And that was of course, until I, you know, got introduced to the startup life in Silicon Valley and, and all that. And how did but you, how did you even find out about that living in Montreal? So the guys that I was co-founding Spoil with, um, they kind of subtly, they didn't know too much about it either, but they knew about Y Combinator and they, you know, that's when I started reading about it, uh, what it mm. is. You know, before that, I, I didn't even know what, you know, a venture capitalist was. I didn't know <laughs> that, <laughs> I didn't know that there were angel investors and, you know, you're like angels yeah (laughs) what the hell are those yeah um and so it it kind of just happened uh naturally and then i started reading more and more about it and i kind Mm. of it kind of just opened up that area of the internet for Mm. for me to start soaking up right i think i think that's a big part of it as well is that like before that you know i i of course use the internet but i didn't really use it to figure out or, or I didn't put two and two together that I could use the internet to figure out how to make my life better, how to think about, you know, career choices, you know, things like that. Mm. And, and after that, it kind of just opened up. Okay. Like there's, there's a whole bunch of knowledge out there. There's a whole network of, of knowledge out there from people who have made mistakes and mistakes yeah. that you can learn from. I, I have a question off of this and someone, sure. something that someone posed to me recently. And I thought was really interesting because I think both of you and I were very lucky in that when we were exposed to maybe entrepreneurial figures, they were people who started things like Y Combinator, or they were people who ran successful companies in the Valley or throughout history. But I know a lot of young people fall into this trap of consuming people, I don't like fake entrepreneurs, so to speak on like on YouTube or on Instagram, on social media. And they fall into this trap of like, they're exposed to those people and they weren't lucky enough to initially be exposed to I don't know, a Paul Graham or, or whoever else. And, and, and it seems like that's becoming more and more common in that. Like I just meet a lot of young, smart people who are consuming a lot of just bullshit. And, and I'm, I'm wondering in the back of my mind, like, how is that happening? And, and how did I kind of escape that, that trap of kind of knowing that those people are full of shit versus um, the people who I'm otherwise consuming regularly, who I know are very credible. So it's like almost like this question of like, how do you even learn things or, or kind of like go about searching things on the internet and then distinguishing between 
like reality of this is like something that's good and worth consuming and not. And, and maybe it's kind of a complex, weird question, but it's like almost like I was trying to teach someone. I was like, I don't, I don't know. How do you teach someone how to know what's credible and not, particularly with something like business or learning how to pursue an unconventional career? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I don't, I don't think I necessarily have an answer to that, but I can say, you know, that, that the, I would say a big part of it is, is the medium. I mean, the people, the medium that people are consuming, uh, I would say lower quality content is, you know, social media. Um, you know, when you think of like, uh, I have two younger half brothers and, you know, they're, they're just constantly always on, you know, whether it be Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, you know, and it's just like the, the quality of the information that you're feeding yourself is just, it's very low. <laughs> and so yeah. when you think of the medium in comparison uh, to people like Paul Graham who have, you know, and share their thoughts publicly on their blogs, um, right. it's just a completely different area of the web. And I, I feel like, you know, we can, we can say whatever. And I think it ultimately has to be, uh, you who has to want something different and then you'll be able to go and search, search for it however you see fit. Right. Uh, but I'm not sure I have, I have an answer to that. That's, it's, that's a difficult problem. No, no. And, and that's totally understandable. I think it's, what's interesting to me is when I was talking to those people, it was almost like the concept of like searching itself was, was, was weird. It's like the, the idea that you could search something as simple as like, how to start a clothing line and then actually learn from that. And I realized very quickly when I was starting to talk to some of these kids, um, and I'm talking specifically about college-aged kids, is like there hasn't really been a lot of teaching from, a, from an education standpoint on how to navigate the complex amount of information and how, how much information exists on the internet to actually know what's legitimate and what's not. It's like you actually have to like kind of teach yourself over time. Um, and so I, like it was, it was almost like I was talking to them and I was like, oh my God, they're like, they're, they're almost blind in a way because they have no idea how to decipher between a legitimate resource and not a legitimate resource. And as a result, many of them don't even kind of take up the challenge of starting the process of researching um, because it's too daunting to even know where do I begin? And they fall back instead on, well, what does my teacher say? What does the academic textbook say? And so it's yeah. this really interesting thing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really huge problem when you think about it. Cause like when you think of, especially me, like I so often think about, you know, what I had learned in school for so long and then mm. what I'm doing now and what I wish I would have learned, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, they're completely separate things, you know, and it's such a, it's such a significant part of your life. You know, those years are that there are many years. And, you know, when you think of what schools should teach, you know, it should be, you know, like how to search on Google, you know, that that's like a, you know, right. how to learning, how to learn is way more important, important, I feel than uh, learning a, any specific topic, you know, but there's a bunch of things that I feel like schools should be teaching that they aren't. And it's, it's obviously a massive problem. I told someone this recently, at some point in time, I want to build a library, like a physical library with the intention of it being completely different than libraries that exist today with just helping like, 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 like young librarians, 20, 30 year olds, helping you to sort through the trove of information online and just about actually learning how to navigate the information available to you instead of just offering it up to you. Because that seems like the biggest, the biggest um, problem that yeah. exists today is it's like, it's so, there's so much information and school continues to throw it in your face thinking that that's what it needs to do. When in reality, it's like seemingly obvious that no, it's about actually navigating the complex maze of information. And we spend so much time throwing, throwing information, memorizing, like make sure you remember all the facts. And, and it's like, you're right. Like you just, like it's, it's about completely the opposite problem at this point in time of, okay, we have all the information you could ever possibly want in your entire life. How do you actually navigate it to get to the answer you want in a way that's time efficient, credible and, uh, and, and right for that person. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that like, I think there's, 
so many things that the internet has switched in the last 10, 15, 20 years that schools have not caught up to. It's, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm waiting for, for all of these schools to like, like, I think they have to either dramatically evolve or half of which are going to go out of business apparently in the next 10 to 15 years. It's going to be really interesting to see the landscape evolve over time. Yep. Agreed completely. And that, that's a great idea. And I think, I think even that, that could even, that solution could even exist online, you know, though, though it wouldn't help because online is very distracting, but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like sorting through all of the knowledge and that exists, that already exists out there is, 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 is huge. Right. That, I mean, I think that's what separates knowledge from wisdom, I guess you could say, you know, like wisdom is, is a clear path where knowledge is just, a, you know, a bunch of these informative points that exist on the surface. Mm, that is a very intelligent quote. <laughs> um, I am, um, I'm curious going back to like YC a little bit, that, that whole experience. Um, did you guys raise right after you went through YC? Yeah. So we raised the initial, uh, 120K, I think it was for YC. Yep. And then we had, uh, an angel investor as well. And I think we actually had us, we had two angel investors. One was a very small amount. The other was, was more significant. And I think in total, we, it was about 500K that we raised. Mm. And, uh, that, that let us survive for, I, I think it was close to, it was about three years, three to mm. four years, um, which was good. Very nice. And I'm curious a little bit more about that process of like how you thought about raising, how you went about it, any advice that you might have for someone else who's looking how to, uh, looking to raise. I think it's something that's on my mind in the kind of near future with the things that I'm working on. So I'm just curious kind of how YC helped in that regard and, and some of the things that you maybe took away from the process. Yeah, so YC was an interesting experience because, like as I, as I mentioned, we were we were very new, and so we didn't necessarily know everything, a about our industry and b mm. about what we actually wanted to create in our vision. And so we had a big vision, though we weren't necessarily set on it, and we were very, um, you know, ready to like we 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 shifted from idea to idea like probably eight or nine times. So we had somewhat different products uh, that many times, and so we. YC was interesting because they kind of pushed, I, I guess I'd say pushed us in a direction that we weren't sure we wanted to take, but, you know, we were uh, amongst, you know, very intelligent people. And so we wanted to listen to them, of course. And so we actually ended up spending a lot of time on making spoil available for businesses and taking the B2B route. And uh, because that's what kind of they, they proposed and that's what they thought was a good idea. And we weren't sure, right? So we kind of just listened. But in, in retrospect, I think it was actually the wrong decision. And I think, I think going the consumer route was something that was more, I guess you could say, on brand or on vision with, with what we wanted to create, the type of experience we wanted to provide. And so we actually, I think we ended up wasting a lot of time because we weren't sure about the vision. And I would say, you know, before you even think about, you know, raising money, I think it's super important to know why you're raising money um, mm. for, for what purposes specifically. Um, I, I'm, I'm now that I've experienced that I would probably, there's very few scenarios that I would go back to raising money in the first place. I think the best money that you can raise is from your customers. And that's interesting. Why is that kind of evolved yeah. in your mind? Well, just because I feel like if you're, I take a, I think I take a mostly a contrarian point of view when it comes to this. I think, I think there's, there's definitely reasons to, to raise money, but it all depends on the type of business that, that you want to end up building, right? If you're building, you know, an Uber or an Airbnb, I think raising money is, is probably a necessity, but okay. if you're building a small, sustainable growth controlled company, I think you should uh, think camp. about deeply. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> think about whether raising money is, is a good option for you. 
Interesting. So talk a little bit more about actually being in YC, because I'm, I'm always curious to hear from founders who went through it. Was it something that was like, did you, did you feel like it really helped you at all after the process in hindsight? And if so, what were some of the best parts of it? Yeah. So I would say that the best parts for sure are the people that you're meeting. That's, that's without a doubt. Like the, the amount of people that are taking the uh, non-conservative route in their lives is just like, it's everyone really, <laughs> because they're, yeah. they're in that program They're They took a risk at one point and now they're doing what they're doing and they're building something that they want out in the world that didn't exist beforehand. And so that's super inspiring. And you just end up soaking in so much knowledge and even more than that, you ended up soaking in a lot of passion, you know, like, and that, that kind of motivates you to uh, either keep going or to start something yourself, you know, and, and it's, and it's tough to, you know, unless you're in Silicon Valley, now it's getting, I think a little bit more popular, but people kind of taking the unconventional routes and getting inspired by that. But it's definitely something that I'm happy I went through YC for. So mm. as I mentioned, like there were a few, you know, there was some time wasted on the business side of things, I think, because we ended up not really um, knowing where we were going as a company, but individually, I, I think I, I profited from it like crazy. And, and the amount of people that you meet with knowledge that you learn from is just, it's, it's amazing. It seems like it's like the people you're around and particularly yeah. like an unconventional setting is, is like the most valuable thing you could probably get from an experience like that. In that I've noticed um, myself, it's like, if you, if you're around other extraordinary young people pursuing very unconventional careers successfully, a lot of the problems that you have in just doing that kind of fall away. Like the whole isolation thing mm -hmm. of I'm working for myself or with my co-founders, we're not allowed around a lot of other people or the fact that there's not a lot of like people who can really offer me up some like inside knowledge into where should I be going? How should I be raising? Like the whole support structure of just checking in on you. It's like, I feel like that's probably like you said, like, like one of the biggest and most important things that if you want to be pursuing an unconventional career you can have is like that whole support structure of just being around people like that who can actually relate yeah. to the journey. And you're right, it seems to be shifting and it seems to be getting better because more people are pursuing unconventional careers, particularly like young people today who are doing things on Instagram and YouTube. It's like, there's just so many more of them now. It's Absolutely. not just kind of restricted to tech, which is interesting. Yeah, and you know, to that point, I think, I think when I, one of the things that I remember most, like looking back on those years is that like, I, there's never been a time in my life where I felt more foolish, you know, like looking back, yeah. like there was, I was never, I was never even close. Like I was always the, the one with the least amount of knowledge in that room, you know? And so there's always people around me that were smarter than me. And my rate of acquiring knowledge has never been higher than when I was amongst those people. <laughs> so it's definitely uh, scary when you think about it. Cause like who wants to be the stupidest person in the room, but at the same time, that's when you have the most to learn. Yes. I'm curious selfishly because the community that I'm working on is trying to help people kind of pursuing unconventional careers who are really extraordinary, kind of develop like more of these meaningful friendships. What did YC do that was good in your opinion, or that was really helpful in kind of aiding that community aspect of people communicating with each other and building those friendships? Yeah. So they had these dinners, I guess you can call them. I think it was, it was once, maybe twice a week where they kind of brought everyone together. They had people who uh, like part, some of the partners were, would, would speak on certain topics and talk about business and tech and startups. And um, that's when they kind of just brought everyone together to just talk about it, it helps you for several reasons. One, you're just, you're obviously networking. And so you're, you're meeting people, you're making new friends and two, you help kind of define the pitch of your product. And so you're able to kind of, I guess you could say, A-B test the pitch that, that your business is working on. And so 
it, the amount of different uh, descriptions I use to describe spoil has changed so many times. And at one point <laughs> I was literally just A-B testing, like, okay, I'm going to use this description with this person, this description with this other person. And then I'm just seeing like, which is <laughs> the best response. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so that, that was super interesting. But yeah, I think that the biggest thing was just, you know, gathering people, smart people together to talk about interesting ideas uh, that, that just would, would end up compounding into, you know, learning as much as you can. And, and was it structured like in that there's a prompt that we're all going to talk about tonight or is it just very much I'm going to put you randomly next to someone? What did like the internal structure of those things look like? Yeah. So uh, it was, I would say generally there, there wasn't too much structure. There were um, uh, partner meetings. So you basically can book office hours with the Y Combinator partners. And so that mm. was a little more structured. You, you, would, you would have to come sort of with a problem that you're facing and you don't want to come like too open-ended. Just like, hey, my business is not working. But you talk about a specific... <laughs> Guys, I'm <laughs> fucked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Help me. Yeah. Um, but you'd come and say, listen, like everything's working. Your conversion rate is, is great up until the last point where people actually need to pay. Like, is there anything I can optimize on this page? Um, and then you would talk to people who, who are able to, to help with that. And so they, they were very valuable when it comes to like specific problems that you would face. Because obviously these people would have a ton of experience with a lot of the time those specific problems as well. So they would give some really great feedback as well. And is there anything you would like change about the experience in hindsight of if they had done that better, the experience probably would have been better for most people. Was there anything that kind of you took away is this could have been more helpful in that regard? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there it's, I'm not sure if it answers your question, but there are companies now that are taking like the remote approach to, to investing in that sense. Like there's one company called tiny seed, which I forgot the name. I think it's Rob, Rob Willing or something like that. But okay. um, it's, a, it's, it's the same concept, Startup Accelerator, but it's designed for kind of bootstrappers, mm. so you, which in a sense is kind of counterintuitive because you are raising money. But at the same time, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're, you're kind of a, you're a smaller team. You, you're, you're more focused on you know, controlled growth. And sure. you're able to do that remotely and from anywhere in the world. And I think a lot of people are just like, they don't have the availability or the ability to just pick up and move to San Francisco because that, that is, uh, or Mountain View, because that is a requirement for Y yeah. Combinator. And that would just also open up the, you know, a lot of people probably don't apply for that reason as well. Mm. And yeah, and it's, like I said, like we, we almost had no, this probably doesn't happen very often, but we almost had no revenue. Like we had very little revenue at the time when we got in. And so I feel like a lot of people are just hesitant to apply to these things and these programs because they feel like they need to be making millions already. When in reality, that's not really the case. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. The, the insight there of like remotes. Um, I, I think that what's maybe a, kind of a secret, so to speak, in that it's not necessarily caught up to the reality of what they're doing is that tools like Zoom have really made it remarkably easy. And that, that seems like such a sponsorship, doesn't it? Tools like Zoom. <laughs> um, no, but like, like, like these remote tools have gotten to the point where I actually think that you're able to develop meaningful relationships. The quality has gotten good enough on our phones yeah. and on our computers to like actually be able to have in-depth conversations and learn um, in a way that maybe is completely remote versus the in-person element. It's, it's interesting though. It's, in some ways, I still feel like the, the in-person element of like relationship building and friendship building is so hard to replicate digitally. It's getting a lot. It better. is. Yeah. It's, it's like, how do you actually how do you deal with some of that is, is probably the harder part of um, the equation. Yeah, that's a good point too. And I think, I think like meetups and, and co-working spaces and events held at co-working spaces can, can probably help with that though. Yeah. Like re replicating it is, 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 I haven't really found anything that can do that. 
um, identically. But I, I don't think it's like I when I, when looking back at Y Combinator, that that is probably the uh, the biggest thing that I found was was the biggest help. You know, just just getting in, and especially it kickstarted. You know, after we moved on from Spoil, you know, uh, it kickstarted my freelance career. Like I, I was lucky enough to not have to you know, hustle after clients. And I'm, I, I'm lucky enough to be very selective about the type of client work that I'm able to take on now because I went through that whole experience and because I've met so many people along, the, along my path that have gotten to know my work and the quality of my work. And so that is something that you can't really get elsewhere. It's something that you just have to, you know, you just have to network. And it's something that now that I'm in Montreal and just like I'm more working from home and working solo, it's something that I definitely notice is like, my my network is just like shrunk <laughs> yeah yeah it, and, and so it's it's what's interesting about that is like yc is almost like it's almost largest um, benefit is the fact that it's credential in that you can mm -hmm. put that on your resume you put that on your website and people right. who are starting company companies in yc or people who maybe are affiliated or know people will will i think treat you so much more with so much more credibility just as a result of having gone through that program it's funny how that's like almost the the main benefit that's kind of not talked about as much about being nyc is just the brand value alone is crazy so it's yeah. interesting that you're, you're you've kind of utilized in that way did you directly kind of when you were starting your freelance career just make a point of like reaching out to people who were in the batch with you and just say hey i'm, I'm doing this do you know anyone or how did that kind of start for you as far as getting clients and building up the freelance business because i wouldn't even know how to begin with that yeah, I, I, to be honest, before Y Combinator, I wouldn't know where to begin either. It's it's like a tough thing, you know. Like what I would what I would say if 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 you're on that path would be to just just to start putting out quality work, you know. Start redesigning apps that already exist, but make them you know like a better experience. You know, start putting out work, and people you'll start to attract people who want to hire you to create that quality of work for their own business. You know, but um, are you a fan? Going, are you a fan of? Um, sorry to interrupt you. Are you a no fan problem. of launching? a product slowly and making it as good as you possibly can before kind of releasing it publicly because there's the whole like release the MVP as quickly as you possibly can, which I think I subscribe to at various points. And then I also see the opposite route of no, you have to like, in order to stand out in today's crowded market, you have to have a phenomenal product. And if you launch with something like that's just a crap version of it, it's never going to go anywhere. So I'm curious to your philosophy on, on, on kind of how you think about either getting something out there as quickly as you possibly can or slowly, but, but really kind of purposefully. So um, making sure that the quality of whatever you're releasing is very high. Yeah, there's a, I think it's, you know, MLP or minimum lovable product is, is so I think what I go by. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, I think, I think you should be quick just because I think there's a lot of ways to get the value out of your product without putting, you know, years into, into product development. Um, but I think, you know, especially it's a tough question, especially for a designer, you know, it's something like that. I always want to make sure that it's something is, you know, really nice and simple and easy to use and often oftentimes it's actually harder to make something simple than to make something complicated or complex and so you end up having to start you start with the product and you end up having to kind of strip away and that's usually my process and uh yeah it's it's interesting and it's something that i find that it's whenever i'm i'm, I'm working on a product and i'm about to release a product i'll just like I'll put it out there, but I won't necessarily market it yet. You know, I'll just like see how it feels to, for it to be online available for anyone to go and visit if they, if they hmm. wanted to, if they had the link. And, you know, I'll start to gather like some really quick feedback from people that I know. Yeah. And, but I generally won't let a lot of that feedback um, influence, you know, the decision right away. Like I, I kind of, whenever I build something now, I kind of am building it um, 
hopefully for myself and a lot of the times for for a market that I know or I'm knowledgeable knowledgeable about. And so I would just put something out there that I feel like will work and, and just start testing, you know, right away. Interesting. And so it's not this like big approach of we're going to launch to a big press pool and like we're going to get a ton of users on it. It's very slow, deliberate. Let me just kind of slowly keep iterating and making better and better and better. And that's kind of the way to get to the right um, audience. So, so, so yeah, is that I think sound so. right? I, I, Sounds right. I, I think you, like you're never going to know where you're going to end up uh, in you know one year or two years. Or I, I think planning that far ahead is kind of pointless. Um, I actually like one of the things that I I find um, I have been doing with some of my projects is just not keeping like a huge backlog. It's just like or or any at all, depending on the type of product that I'm working on. And so like I only I'm only looking like I, I'll have a big vision for the product. But specific mm. task wise, I'll only look like a few tasks ahead just because there's things that end up changing so often so quickly. Mm, that's really interesting. And and going back to like the clients and a bit for, for what you're doing with freelance, yeah. um, I'm curious, just kind of uh, wrapping up a little bit too, like how, how do you think about pricing yourself when you're starting a client service business like that? And, and kind of just the interaction between the client of um, setting the expectations ahead of time. How do you kind of think about interacting with the client in that kind of way? And, and especially when you're first starting out, figuring out how to price yourself and what's reasonable and not reasonable. Because I know for me, like I've interacted with a lot of people I know at the very beginning of their career and you ask them, hey, how much is this logo going to cost? And they're going to say, oh, it's $2,000. And you're like, well, it's not really. I mean, you're 22 and you have just started this and then you talk to someone else and they're like, I'll do it for free because I just want the exposure. How do you think about the right way to start off with um, kind of the pricing? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a personal question. I think it's, you know, how do you feel spending you know, two or three or four hours of your time, um, like what, what's worth it for you? And I feel like everyone has different answers for that and they end up looking <laughs> elsewhere when in reality, they just got to look like how they value their own time. Like me personally, there's nothing more that I value in life than time because it's something that you can't necessarily buy. You can't uh, ever get back and it's, and it's always fleeting. And so it's something that I value highly. And so that's how I make my decisions on pricing. And so I would say if you're starting out and you're having trouble gathering clients, like I think it's okay to take on some free work. I think it's okay to price very low, like when you're starting out. Um, but if you're ending up where you have, you know, a bunch of quality work out there and people are reaching out to you based on that, then you have leverage there and you can charge whatever you feel like is worth, worth it for your own time. Um, it's kind of a, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but no, it does. And it's like, for me, what I was reminded of too, is, is so much of this goes back to like the authenticity thing of just being yourself and in, in so far as like the work and the pricing and like, and Naval has a, has a great kind of long episode on, on, um, I think it was, it was how to get rich and he does the whole kind of compilation of the series. Yeah. One of the things storm they, there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and one of the things he talked about, which I think is, is on my mind a lot these days too, is like authenticity allows you to escape all competition. So it's like, if you put your art in a way online that, that really represents you or, your, or the pricing strategy you choose is, um, is, is really what's right for you and the designs or your style and whatever. It's just, it's the, it's, it's hard to compete with something like that. It's, it's impossible because yeah, no one's going to be a better James than James. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, that's a great point. I think it's like some of the best or most successful designers that I know, it's like, you look at the quality of their work and you're like, wow, like no one can, can, can produce what this guy produces, you know? And so like at that one, when you get to that point, you can charge whatever it is that you want because no one else can do the same. And so I think continually honing in on your skills on your specific themes and and the style and quality of your work is going to go a long way in terms of pricing mm. all right one more question just selfishly and then i'll let you run is how do you edit your photos to be like that so so like that black style is so cool i'm just so curious 
Oh man, the amount of D- DMs I get on this question is like, <laughs> is just, it ridiculous? I just write, it's ridiculous. I should just write a blog post already or a YouTube video or something. Okay, well, this is what uh, you're going to do. You're going to take this little clip and you're just going to post it on your story and be like, here you go. <laughs> sounds good, sounds good. So uh, pe- a lot of people think that I just end up, because my photos are so dark that I just end up shooting at night all the time, but that's actually not the case. Most of my photos on my feed are shot during the daytime or ideally, you know, close to sunset. Um, when there's not any direct light, but so a lot, so pretty much 90% of it is going to be post-processing in, in Lightroom. And, you know, it's just, I think just playing around with white balance, upping the contrast, lowering exposure, playing with shadows and highlights. And, uh, a big part of it also is just like selective colors. You know, whenever I post something, I want to end up, there's, I want to end up with maybe one, maybe two colors are showing at the time, but it's never really more than that. And I think that adds a unique uh, twist to it. And I, and I think, you know, shutting out all the blues from the sky, all etc. everything else will help you focus on one, one element. And so you can, you can focus on that. So yeah. This goes Just back to Lightroom, really. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's, this is not something I can do on my little basic Visco app. This has to be <laughs> probably on, on Lightroom, um, in a very kind of legit editing style. Yeah. Yeah. That would help a lot. Cool. Well, I appreciate it, man. Um, this was a fun conversation. It's, um, it's, it's really interesting kind of hearing your story because from when I went on your Instagram page, it was just like an entirely different vibe of I would never know that you went through Y Combinator and that you're working on a startup. And it's just, it's so uh, interesting kind of seeing the reality of someone versus kind of their appearance online. And I'm sure when, <laughs> when you looked at me up, the very epitome different. of like social media, right? You have this like highlight reel of your life, but no one actually knows what it's about until they have a conversation about it. Yeah, which I which I wish in some ways it's intentional for some people and others it's not. But it's right, it's like right. I wish there was an easier way to just kind of I don't know tell someone like to tell who someone else beforehand. But um, but yeah. Anyway, I, I really enjoyed the conversation, man. I appreciate you taking some time to chat, and uh, and hopefully we get to meet in person at some point. Absolutely, thank you, Max. It was, it was a pleasure. Of course, have a good rest of your day, man. Thanks, man. Likewise. Bye bye. All right. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. If you want to check out Traff or Max on Instagram. Their handles are TRAF, just T-R-A-F, and who is Max. Thanks so much, and we'll see you on the next episode.